Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe. And if this is your first episode and you're wondering what this whole thing is all about, well, I'll tell you. Every week, I find my head surgically attached to the body of a different friend and cinephile. Together, we are given a note containing a theme, sometimes specific and sometimes vague. Our job is then to pick a pair of movies that fit that theme and then watch and discuss. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. Has it been a year? I guess it it has. It just that seems well, kind of talking. Well, we recorded the, the last time I was on. We recorded uh, January, the week of the, of course, the the crazy Republican uh, takeover of the White House, and, and then the are. episode and the episode didn't come on until like February. So yeah, I I haven't been on for a whole entire year. It's like uh, <laughs> it's been it's been it's been crazy. It, it's really only been a year because I keep rescheduling. Uh, oh, yeah. We were supposed to do this months ago. Uh, that, that's right. This is actually going to be my first record in three months. Really? Yeah. It, I haven't introduced you by name, but ladies and gentlemen, you probably recognize the voice of Johnny Duarte, who is back again after, as we said, a year-long absence. Uh, it, it, it honestly is my fault he was not banished <laughs> like i was not avoiding having you on the show i was not canceled no i can't i don't know why i'm talking about you in the third person or like, <laughs> not here but um i just uh yeah you know, other things came up and everybody that listens knows i've been you know struggling a little bit with the work-life balance and finding time for this and so there's a lot of people that i i've been i was in talks with to be on the show and i haven't been on for a little while so uh happy to be start you know start going through that list by getting you back Finally, we've been talking about this for months. We've had plenty of rescheduling and uh, even a change of movie that we're going to be discussing. Yeah. So here we are. We're going to be talking about a couple of uh, kind of oddball genre mashup musicals. Um, I won't get to those in a minute, but for now, uh, Johnny, welcome back to the show. Well, hey, it's good to be back, Aaron. Uh, no, like I, I've been really dying to come back, and uh, I mean, I've been, obviously been listening to the show for the for the whole entire year. I haven't been on, and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm 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 glad to uh, to be back here um, talking about two very interesting films. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, well, one of them I I've, I've been a fan of for a while, and then the other one I just saw for the first time uh, as of this recording today. Well, I am, let's say I'm, let's say the word is excited <laughs> about discussing these films um, because we're going to get into this, but I feel like this may be our first, uh, uh, our first for the, the show that is real like Siskel and Ebert moment where I think we're going to have very differing views on some of the, the, what we're talking about. Okay. All right. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that. Uh, of course, the films are uh, Repo, the Genetic Opera, and The Ghastly Love of Johnny X. We're going to be discussing those, and I'm sure plenty more, as soon as we come back from this first break. 
By the middle of the 21st century, organ failure had become a worldwide epidemic. But Geneco was there to satisfy the demand for organ replacements. The problem is, if you miss a payment, Geneco sends out the repo man. And when he finds you, your time is up. So the brief IMDb synopsis, which is not loading right now because my laptop is a piece of shit, is, oh my God. Uh, so this isn't being edited out. This is all going to go in. I love it. All right. A worldwide epidemic encourages a biotech company to launch an organ financing program similar in nature to a standard car loan. The repossession clause is a killer, however, and that's not a very good like synopsis. It doesn't really. No, it's not. It, it, I guess it, it, the, probably the most important world building acts aspect of this movie, but it, it doesn't really talk about anything else. Uh, so to get further into that, the movie follows Gene Co, um, or concerns Gene Co and Paul Sorvino as the head who is dying and his attempts to find a suitable heir, uh, after being embarrassed and disappointed in all of his nightmarish children. Um, concurrently, the film also follows Alexa Vega as the daughter of Anthony Head, who moonlights as a repo man for Gene Co. Um, violently slicing out organs for people who haven't been able to keep up their payments. Uh, and that that's it. Um, I mean, there's a lot more to it. This movie is nothing if not overstuffed <laughs> with ideas, characters, plot lines, um, just like weirdo designs. I don't know. This is the one. Um, I feel like we're going to have a disagreement on this because. Yeah. Yeah. I, because I, I remember like I kind of threw out the idea of doing it and you're just like, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not a big fan of repo. <laughs> yeah. But I, I hadn't seen it since 2009 or whenever it came out on video. Uh-huh. And you know that's that's a long time ago. I've changed, and it it this has certainly found a cult following. So I felt like I've always felt like I wanted to revisit it. Yeah. Um, and so I went into it with a completely open mind, and I'm sorry to say I feel pretty much the same. <laughs> I also am interested in hearing from a fan what they like about it, even though I I. I I, I understand why people like this. I do. I feel, I still think there's some good conversation. I like you trust me. If I had nothing to say about the movie, I would have just said to you, look, I can't talk about it, <laughs> like, <let's laughs> be, but I, I do want to hear what you have to say about it. So um, what's your history with this movie? Uh, you're even a fan. So um, just like, I don't know what, like, what is it about you or what is it about you? What is it about the film that kind of appeals to you? Um, well, first off, like at, in the early days, like this is like, uh, so yes, 2008. So I'm barely, oh, so this is like after college, this is after I dropped out of college and everything. Um, yeah, so around this time, like I was really starting to get into horror. 
Like I started getting into horror towards the late high school, early college, and then it really kind of bloomed even more during around the you know, late, you know, two thousands. And so, you know, seeing this horror movie and then it's also a musical, I was like, I was very intrigued because the teaser trailer there was the uh, the song in the opera at the opera tonight. That's what was kind of the the main teaser they're doing before the movie came out. And that song was so catchy to me. I'm like, holy shit, what the hell is this? So I was super intrigued. And I was like, what's Paul Sovino doing in this movie? (laughs) And then, yeah, so it just kind of intrigued me more and more. And then I was the only person. No, actually, um, did I see it by myself? No, I think I took my sister um, because I thought, hey, you like musicals. Come see this with me. So we went. I forgot where I exactly saw it the first time. I don't know if it was on Sunset or it was a different thing. I forgot what the theater was. I wish I knew. But um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I fell in love with it. Uh, the, the music was great. I downloaded it on iTunes at the time. And yeah, and of course, Paris, you know, the, again, my only drawback was Paris Hilton because at that time, Paris Hilton was obviously mainly just a. She's Paris Hilton, so the you know. life that was kind of the like she that was her that was around her initial quote unquote fame, right? Where the, she had the reality show and yeah, it, it was like after it, but still she was still in the limelight, and you know that's hot around that time. So yeah. you know, so she was kind of like a I wouldn't say like maybe like a gimmicky um, cast casting. I think that's the right word to say. But it, it, I will say that she also fits the kind of plastic grotesquerie of the movie. Like it that, is very true. It is in a way a very inspired cameo because she's a person that a lot of people have. And I don't know anything about her. And I imagine that she's had a lot of growing over the years. So I don't want to, I, I don't really want to just spend too much time disparaging her but she's still not a fan (laughs) i'm still not a fan i I know i i don't i am not either i i just like i'm conscious about just kind of like trash talking people who are actually people with interior lives that nobody else is you know uh nobody else is privy to like we don't know uh we just know that she's presenting just in case she's listening to this podcast because you know yeah, cool. yeah, I, I know. That's why I'm being nice because <laughs> you might listen. No, I, I just like, you know, people are people. They're more complicated than we understand based on sound bites and their times on reality television. <sighs> but yes, she seems like she seemed at the time like a pretty awful person. Um, mm-hmm. But what I meant to say is, she is somebody that a lot of viewers would have an immediate revulsion to seeing. Like they would just be like, oh her and they're like gross or like you know it would just it would make people (laughs) kind of upset a lot of people anyway but like she kind of fits the tacky world of this movie as well like how um how just like kind of like like i said plastic and and over the top and and intentionally like kind of gross and gauche um yeah so I, i think she her at that time her public persona very much fits what this movie is is aiming for and look i i definitely agree with you and um, i'm just glad she wasn't in the entire movie they had you know better singers and actresses and actors um you know tumbling over it so i just got to give a shout out to alexa vega 
um, because I, I, I really liked what she's been doing uh, prior to this. Like I was a big fan. I was actually a fan of the Spy Kids movies. And then uh, I was like, oh, so she's doing this is her, like her first, you know, big R-rated like, um, you know, movie and all that. And she can actually sing, which is cool. Um, and uh, what's it called? And I was, I've always been a fan of Paul Zorvino, but I didn't know he was a I, I didn't know he was actually a trained opera singer, I believe. Uh, beforehand so that was really cool to see him like just bust those pipes out and i'll see everybody's not that bad of a singer especially sarah brightman because she's you know she's sarah brightman <laughs> yeah she's sarah brightman so um what's it called so yeah i i um i i was yeah just, so everything about it definitely intriguing like the music uh the, the all the practical gore that they used in it and this is at the time I didn't really watch the Saw films at that time, but I knew of them because he, uh, so uh, Dylan Bousman, who directed two, three, four, and five, I think. Um, so, yeah, so again, I heard of him, and, um, and I, but I didn't know he's actually part of the original crew of Repo Genetic Opera. He directed the, uh, I believe he directed the original stage play when they uh, when they perform at the CIA in North Hollywood, yeah. So, um, but but yeah. So yeah. So so the entire film just always really you know fascinated me. And then after the movie practically tanked, um, it slowly there slowly was a little cult following. And then I think around a year later, after the Blu-ray came out, after the DVD Blu-ray came out, they uh, they actually did a, um, a like a summer I think it's a summer tour. Where they grabbed, you know, the so Darylin Bouncman, the director, and then he grabbed a lot of the cast members and they traveled all over the country to screen the movie and have shadow cast, like uh like a la Rocky Horror Picture Show at the New Arts or or anywhere that does shadow casting. Um, just basically actors in front of the screen mimicking, you know, what they're doing on the screen mm-hmm. for people that don't know what shadow casting is. And so, yeah, so at the end of the movie, um, the whole cast, the whole crew comes out and they ask, you know, people can ask questions. It's just basically just a huge meet and greet, basically. Like, um, I was fortunate enough to meet Alexa Vega, um, what's his name, uh, Bill Mosley. I have an entire uh, uh, Blu-ray cover just signed by pretty much everybody from the movie, including the, the, the composer and the lyricist of the movie as well. So, but yeah, it was just a really cool event because again, people were shouting at the screen a la Rocky Horror again, very audience participation. And yeah, I just have a little, you know, nice fond memory of this movie. And I still, I actually popped the uh, the, the soundtrack on like not too long ago and it's still, it still fucks. It still kicks ass, I think. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's my two cents on uh, Repo and I, I might give it a watch again later on. <laughs> so I yeah, so, so let me hear your uh, let me hear your uh, your your Ebertish or your your Siskel take on it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know which one of us would be which, but uh, I'm fatter, so I think I'm Ebert. Well, I would like to be Ebert, but I don't think <laughs> I don't I, I don't think I'm as good of a writer as Ebert is. <laughs> um, okay. He okay. So where do I start with this? Because this is a movie that in so many ways seems tailor-made for me. Um, I'm kind of a, a, a secret musical fan and I only say secret musical fan because it's like, I, 
I don't I don't think of myself as a musical fan, but then when I watch one, I'm like, this is fucking great. I like musicals. Um, yeah. And I I was a pretty hardcore goth in high school. I have many embarrassing photos um, All right. of my outfits and and yes, sometimes makeup I would wear. Okay. Um, like I love horror. I love you know the the splattery, uh, like just kind of craziness that this movie aspires to. I like so much of the cast. Anthony Head, um, you know, I was a Buffy fan. Yeah, he's a really good singer. He gets a chance like twice on that show to sing, and it's always surprising how good he is. Uh, well, twice outside of the musical episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Mosley. Uh, who at the time I wasn't as familiar with outside of Texas Chains on Asker 2. Okay. I honestly didn't realize Alexa Vega was in Spy Kids until this last viewing. I was like, oh, yeah, she, she's the girl from Spy Kids because I loved Spy Kids 1 and 2 when they came out. Yeah. Um, uh, I love Robert Rodriguez. Like everything Robert Rodriguez did up to a certain point, I was just a super huge fan of. Um, yeah, <laughs> he he's got he's got some stinkers there, but you know, I, I'd rather celebrate him than talk shit about shorts. The last Spy Kids movie. Yeah, no, I I think he's, I think it's still there. I think he, oh, okay, this is a big tangent, but we can do a Rodriguez episode. I would love to do a Rodriguez episode sometime because put me down for the Rodriguez episode I, because I, I I I love a good Rodriguez movie. I think his movies have always been like kind of comic booky and over the top, mm-hmm. but they were better in the early days when like he allowed them to be comic booky and over the top, but otherwise played it straight. Yeah. Like, Rado is fucking silly as hell, but he plays that shit straight. So it's awesome as hell. <laughs> oh, um, absolutely. But then, then like after spy kids and I liked the first two spy kids and some other stuff he's done afterwards. Uh-huh. starts to he starts to just kind of like nudge you and say look this is silly i know it's silly instead of just like like i think machete would have played better if he had filmed it like desperado or even once upon a time in mexico like if he like had a little more straight is what you're saying once once he he starts to be like obvious about his his kind of like cartoonish aspirations um, i think the movies aren't as as good mm-hmm. um but no, I, I still really, like, anytime I see him attached to something, I, he's somebody I'm still excited to see his, his work, even if it doesn't always strike, like land for me. Um, yeah. But that was a huge digression. So anyway, there's also um, Ogre from Skinny Puppy is in this. And, yeah. like, I wasn't a huge Skinny Puppy fan, but, the, like, I, I that was, like, right in my wheelhouse of music I was, you know, into. Yeah. Um, and it just didn't, like, it, none of it worked for me, really. And, um. I didn't really like the music. Uh, I don't, there's a couple of tracks, but it's, a lot of it just isn't, isn't very good. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It, I, 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 I struggle with how to describe music, but um, right. it just didn't do anything for me. Um, I, I just, I found it uh, way too overstuffed. Um, the performances, like Bill Mosley, I love, but I, I, I don't know really what he's doing in this movie. Like it, it's just it doesn't. 
it doesn't feel right. Like, it, I mean, or it feels incredibly right and nobody else is on the right page. Like he's, he does, I like thinking about it, he does have that kind of like manic, um, really unpredictable edge to him in this movie. Uh, uh-huh. Like also, while also being very like petulant and whiny. Uh-huh. Uh, he's got an energy I think fits what the movie is going for, but since nobody else is quite on his level, it seems out of place maybe. Uh, uh, what are you saying? It's like he's in the wrong movie. Yeah, or or the or everybody else is in the wrong movie. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm getting into specifics. I will just say that like it was a disappointment to me, and I I can't. I, I don't know. We'll 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 talk it out to see if I can pinpoint why. But but there is something that I find um, those movies. And this can apply to both of our movies tonight. Uh, The movies that are trying to be a cult object, that they are trying to like prefabricate a cult audience, right? Like, um, like Snakes on the Plane is is another example, or um, I don't know if you ever saw Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. I haven't, but it's on, uh, I think it's on Prime. Okay. Well, those movies are always movies that like, they sound fun in concept, but you watch them and think, oh, this would have been better if it had come out in 1976 because it would have had a little bit more like earnestness to it. It would have felt a bit more genuine in its kind of like ramshackle, half-assed, like non-professionalism and just like anything goes attitude. Um, so they, all, yeah. they have a little bit more of a hurdle that, to clear for me. Um, like. Well, I totally get it because I just saw a film that I've seen the poster for. I've seen, you know, I've just seen posters for it. And it just looks, it, the poster looked badass. You might know what I'm talking about. It's called Velocipaster. Yeah, that, that I haven't seen that, but that, that does seem like it fits what I'm talking about. Because, yeah, I watched Velocipaster. Not, I mean, I'm, I'm already setting my... Set up. I'm already setting my dumbass, and I'm like, okay, the poster's cool, but I bet you ten bucks it's not gonna look as cool as that poster. And lo and behold, yeah, I I couldn't finish it. I I did like twenty minutes, and I couldn't finish it because it's trying to be something. It's trying to be out there. It's trying to it's, it's trying too hard, you know, on the concept. Because again, it sounds cool. Sounds cool on paper. If you had the budget for it, if you take it seriously you'd have a kick-ass movie, but you can tell, like, because there's a scene where I guess the, the, the pastor's family is, you know, the pastor's family uh, gets blown up in a car. So they cut to a scene where it says there's text in front of the screen saying like CG explosion, um, you know, to be, uh, to be put here or something. And you just hear the sound effects of the car explosion and all that. Then it cuts back to the pastor crying and like saying, no, it cuts back to, again, a, a blank plate of just nothing as like okay i know where this is going now so they're it's it's trying to be funny like they're trying too hard you know yeah and i'm not saying it can't it can't ever work there are like these these kind of like like ironic uh bad movies that sometimes i enjoy but there are oh. the ones where it it just seems like mm-hmm. It, it seems like like they are really trying. Like they're not trying to make a movie that's silly. They're trying to make a good movie, 
and that that seems mean because it seems like I'm like laughing at them, but that's not it. I like I I admire these people who had batshit visions that they were able to get off the ground. Like um, it's like it's like the difference between this and say something by Ed Wood. Like yeah, like Ed Wood is not the worst film director who's ever lived. He's not made the worst movies ever. I, oh no, I think his movies are incredibly compelling. They're charming, and they are because like. Glenn or Glenda, I, I, I've talked about, I think maybe even on this show before, is a masterpiece. A, like it is 20 years ahead of the midnight movie uh, like a, uh, craze of the 70s. Like it, you yeah. released that movie in the 70s and he beats Yodorowsky and Lynch to the punch. He is, you know, a true midnight movie auteur. Like people go and like, gets get high and watch this and have like f- discussions of philosophy and you know identity i think it's well, um but he's he's not his ta- his his ambition and his enthusiasm outclass his talent and so it looks like a mess but it, it's still like i find it so compelling um in yeah. a way that like a lot of these movies that are just like are trying to that are at, trying to reach for that uh, they're never going to make it in my eyes. They're just not going to feel the same. Uh, like, I mean, for instance, like, um, so I, I rewatched Ed Wood like a few years ago um, for the first time. And since like I saw it when I was younger and I'm like, oh my God, this is just a huge love letter to, you know, to Edward himself. It's, it, it's such a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful biopic, honestly, it because it, 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 it made me, it made me appreciate Edward's, passion and like you know like like it's they're not just bad they're not bad movies they're just like we said they're they're just they're charming and they, like you can tell the passion that he had for to, to make these you know to make these movies on practically nothing you know and he and he had a whole group of practically a a, a posse that always supported him yeah um i don't want to like I will say not everything Ed Wood made was very charming. And like uh, are, no, especially his later films. Yeah. Um and but they have their little charming moments, I think. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> to, to some to some people, I guess. I, I was gonna bring up really quick, uh, have you seen New York Ninja by any chance? Oh no, I that that seems like such an interesting release. Okay, so it, it bums me out that you weren't there beyond Fest. I wasn't there either. I finally like um what's it called the uh, one of the people from vinegar uh, one of the prs was submitting screeners at the day after that came out i mean the day after that premiere so i'm like i need to jump on it so i quickly grabbed it it's fucking great i there's so much just bad shit insane shit in this film it's ridiculous i quickly i pre-ordered that blu-ray asap and yeah i showed the family they all loved it and I, I I urge you, like, look, I, I I'll even loan you my my copy of New York Ninja. Well, uh, I definitely want to see it. it. Everything about it sounded like just so fun to me. I think you'll like it. I, I think you'll definitely like it. But that see, that's that's another thing because that, that's an older movie, right? That that is a. Um, it was a movie that was never finished. It was shot, but it was never finished. So that that comes from a genuine place like the people making new york ninja 
I mean, clearly they were trying to capitalize on a trend. I'm not saying it, you know, everybody has pure, uh, you know, like the purest of intentions when they make a movie. Yeah. But that, my understanding is that that was kind of like a genuine movie that was made by amateurs uh, working on the best that they had at their disposal. And it's kind of been rediscovered now as maybe maybe a little bit of a cult object, but that wasn't necessarily the intent behind it. Well, I mean, yeah, basically like they're like, supposedly they're just going to throw the, the film away and then vinegar syndrome. were like, Hey, what's this? They're like, Oh yeah, it's just, it's just some random like film that we don't know what's what it is. So we're just going to throw it, take it to trash. And then he said, no, give it to us. We'll, we'll take it. We'll check it out. And they re, they watched every single film can and they basically thought, Oh, there's a movie in, in here. So they, I think it took like them two years to edit this movie. And I got to give huge props to the editor who also is the director and the co-writer because the editors are the one who make the film. <laughs> so he, the, the guy who edited New York Ninja, like he, he is the hero of New York Ninja because he had to sit and look at every single fucking shot but here's the thing all the audio was is was missing so they had to grab all like a bunch of you know actors to re to voice these people and it's 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 one hell of a movie i'll just say that and i i don't know i'm just uh i i want to go to all these things in person i'm seeing so many things about south by um, the Ty West's new movie. I haven't been excited about a Ty West movie in a while, but I, I, I it, there was a time when he was like, I, I thought he was like a huge rising star. I thought he was just like the best new thing to come along for horror in a while. Yeah. And his last movies, I, the last few movies I was disappointed in, but this new one, he's got X that just, I guess, just premiered at South by looks so fucking good. Um, and then there's the screenings like this, or the like Beyond Fest, the ones you're talking about. There's the screenings at the Cinematic Void, and you know the Arrow Theater is doing stuff. Like I get all these notifications of cool things going on around town, and I'm just not comfortable with it yet. Um, I mean, look, I get it. I mean, look, it, between you and me, I, I mean, between you and me, between you and me, and everybody that's listening to this podcast, Cinematic Void screenings never really sell out per se. So everyone's kind of spread about. No, I, 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 yeah, that was my experience at the one, but it's still like, so I've, I've gone to a couple of concerts. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are just because like they were tickets we bought two years ago and like, they're not canceling the shows. So it's like, I guess we'll go. Um, And the other one was, was York. And like, that's like a bucket list artist for me. And we got like VIP tickets and, um, that's awesome. Like I, they were being pretty like they're checking. You had to wear a mask. You had to be vaccinated. No, no, like negative test bullshit. It, it was like only if you're vaccinated and you still have to wear a mask. So we, yeah. felt, we felt pretty good about that. And we have some others coming up that we're probably going to like, we'll see where the world is at, but we're probably going to go to those. Some of those, like the ones at the Greek that you're like, Oh, they're outdoors. Like that, that's, that's fine. But, um, Movies, I just don't, I don't know why. Like, it's been over two years since I was in a theater. The last movie, the last time I was in a theater was for The Cinematic Void, January Giallo in January 2020. 
right um, and i miss it so much but i i just i don't know i i i'm not i'm not comfortable with it yet because i understand i definitely get it though we had a we had a covid scare a couple of weeks ago and part of it was so like what was most demoralizing about it even though it turned out we were we, we were fine yeah we had made it two years like and then just like we we have to go back to work and now we're like things are opening up you have to interact with people and it's like we make it two years and now fuck we got covid in the house but we didn't thankfully yeah well i mean that's good you know <laughs> because i mean honestly i uh, knock on wood i've not gotten covid yeah I've been single for the past two years and not even COVID would actually, uh, <laughs> is attractive to me, but, um, no, but in all seriousness, I've been very lucky, um, to, because I mean, I, I've gotten a couple of COVID scares here and there, especially when I work where I work, but I mean, luckily I've, um, I've been very, um, I've been safe or trying to be safe. I mean, I've been going like recently, I've been kind of going back to the movies and all that, but I always keep the mask on. But especially nowadays where it's like not mandatory, but you can wear the mask either or, but you have to be vaccinated. Like I was at a screening of the Batman um, in North Hollywood. And yeah, no, nobody was wearing masks. Nobody. I was the only one wearing a mask. And then at the Cinematic Void screening of uh, Patrick Still Lives um, at this time of recording earlier this the, this past week, um, again, they, they're just um, a lot of people weren't really wearing masks. A couple of them were, including me. But yeah, I mean, they're just very, like, I'm still very like, you know, um, you know, trying to be protective. Yeah, I, I, I still wear like, well, we have our regular masks that I wear just mm -hmm. quick, like the, the cloth masks that we made. Um, and we wear those if we're going to be out just briefly or walking around outside, uh, but around people. Um, but anytime like we go in and we have to be indoors around people, it's N95 masks at all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I I know it like it sucks. To, like so many people are just like even the people who agree that masks help or that you know agree that the the you know you should be careful in the pandemic are, are kind of like not paying attention anymore. Everybody's acting like it's over. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's just really. All right. yeah, I, I just I rather just like you know I, I'd rather be safe yeah. you know I don't trust people so um I guess uh let me ask you um yeah we gotta we gotta we gotta wheel back into this movie yeah yeah I know I it, it's it I think it's rough just because it's like we're on such different pages about it originally it was supposed to be a directed DVD film which I did not know of at all because i remember lionsgate that was the thing about um repo the reason why i didn't make a dime is because um lionsgate didn't really push it as much so i remember um they were trying to, because uh, and daryl lynn bowsman was trying to get lionsgate to like keep you know doing this move and like keep on advertising this film but they didn't advertise it for shit so when they did the whole um like they're doing like basically this whole that whole repo um tour was all done out of like the crew's pocket basically you know and then also the uh, you know the cast coming in out of their free time and you know and they were trying to get Lionsgate to you know 
bring them to the screen because I remember as 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 I can remember the screening um the the, the LA screen well first off Oliver Oliver Stone uh his daughter he he dropped off his daughter to the screening who wait who what um when I was in line for this for that repo um screening for the first LA screen for the tour that they did I I was waiting in line and I saw Oliver Stone dropping off his daughter. Oh. Wait, how old is his daughter in that that time then? I have no idea. Like a kid or like I'm a, assuming a teenager. Oh, that that's fine. This is like I mean it's, that makes sense too. Especially Oliver Stone probably realizes what, you know, teenagers are seeing so many worse things than what their parents think they're allowing. Yeah. Um but no, but um but yeah, so when Daryl Bowsman was doing the introductions, you know, he's like, is anybody from Lionsgate here? Nobody. Because basically, yeah, so he kind of explained saying that, you know, Lionsgate didn't really, you know, give too much love to this movie. That's the reason why it pretty much tanked. And, um, but Twisted Pictures, which is the producing company, which is the company that, that made Saw and all that. But they were there. Uh, they were there to support. But yeah, so Lionsgate couldn't care less, basically. Like they just... Because I remember when they were, um, when they put out, I think saw two or three on DVD, in the commercial, they're like also also from the director of Saw two or three, reborn genetic opera, and that's it. That was their only like promotion for that movie. Lionsgate is and was notorious for how they treated horror. They got so many interesting properties and then like buried them or just held on to them for years and then like. Did decided not to advertise them, just like put them straight to video. But yeah, the way they treated horror was a shame because they got they seemed like they were so into horror, like they were buying up all these properties and producing all this stuff, and they're just not really, not really giving it the the treatment it deserved. Yeah, um, but I do think I, I do not think this would have been a big hit either way. Uh, I think it found its audience pretty quickly. Oh yeah. Like especially on video, I think I think the people that are inclined to like this movie found it. Like I don't think there's anybody that it would like Reaper the Genetic Opera that doesn't really know about it these days. Um so I, I, I kind of wonder how much of a hit it would have been. It it does kind of feel like even with a lot of advertising that this is this is probably the path the movie would have taken, like a you know, a brief, unspectacular theatrical run and a very popular, like, home video life. Um, yeah. So I, I, it, I, I understand his frustration with Lionsgate, but I, I don't, I don't think the different, like, the outcome would have been that different. Right. Yeah, but uh, like I said, um, like you said, it found its audience, I think, and. Um, because I think it's I think it's still on Shutter. It's it's streaming somewhere. I forgot, but I mean I have it. So I, I think it's on Tubi. Is what I watched it on. Oh, okay. The movies are on Tubi this week. Huh? Both of our movies this week are, are on Tubi. That's right. And like Tubi, I don't know how it. They must be getting a lot for ads because they like they're advertising like. Mar- their advertising income mu- revenue must be astounding because they have so much stuff <laughs> and like a lot of like really 
kind of low rent stuff like just look up how many weird ass shark movies they have on tubi yeah they they even have the documentary i edited oh really yes um another film that i probably will not say (laughs) say on here oh okay i i know amazon prime for a while you anybody would used to be able to upload stuff just like put movies on on amazon prime for other people to find that's Uh why you find a lot of kind of like stuff of of questionable copyright status like maybe a little bit gray market is because all these people are just throwing stuff up there and nobody like nobody knows nobody cares um that used to be the case i don't know anymore but tubi has such a wealth of just like crazy 1970s horror movies and exploitation right right next to stuff like legitimate classics like really big blockbusters and it's free. I mean, you get ads every 15 minutes and sometimes those can be annoying, but I mean, we used to watch TV with ads. We used to watch movies, like, fuck, I grew up watching movies, broadcast television, edited for all sorts of things. And oh, I did too. And, I mean, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. So, so Tubi is unedited and you get like widescreen and really good quality. It just has ads every 15 minutes. I, I don't know how they do it. And I'm worried at the moment it's going to start like, going downhill but it's still like it just maintains it like keeps plugging along at like being pretty cool like under the radar yeah no because uh, i mean that's how i saw uh disco godfather for the first time was on tubi there's a few things that i saw for the first time on tubi you know tubi is uh <laughs> tubi is is something good sometimes you know yeah. um no because the commercial breaks at least they tell you when the commercial break is going to happen if you go to IMDb TV, now they don't tell you when the break is happening. <laughs> yeah, I, I there's some other service like Sony had Crackle. I don't know if does Crackle still exist? Crackle still exists, yes. That's a piece of shit. <laughs> Man, the interface is really bad. The ads like will will just pop up in the middle of a line reading and like come back and it doesn't seem like the timing is right. And like you, you can't really rewind or pause very well. It, it's so bad. But Tubi is like it, it everything runs smoothly. I'm like yeah. It, it it's I don't know. It like I just I'm worried it's gonna be like one of those things where a big corporation buys it out or or the people that own the licensing for these movies are gonna be like, no, we're gonna go somewhere else, like what's happening with Netflix. Um yeah. Holy cow. Uh we have like half an hour left and still another movie to go. Do you have anything more you want to say about Repo the Genetic Opera? Um, no, be, I, I, I've said my piece and I still, I, sorry, I still enjoy the film. Um, it's, uh, it's still has some banging songs and I definitely uh, would recommend it to anybody that likes horror and music. So I, I would love to, if you don't agree, um, shoot, shoot me on Twitter. Uh, well, tweet me out at, at Johnny D presents. Yes, that is my Twitter name. Johnny D presents. Well, I, um, un- unfortunately i'm going to have to disagree <laughs> <laughs> i kind of feel almost the opposite i like i get why people like this sort of thing and i'm not mm-hmm. gonna say like i'm above it because i like a lot of this, a lot of this stuff too yeah but nothing in this movie really works for me and uh i was hoping that this time around like i would find something but it it 
I actually watched it again twice. I like watched it, <laughs> and then I, I it had been so long since we we were originally going to do this, and I was like, I'm gonna watch it again. And each time, I was just like, this is not like this is this is both for me and not for me. <laughs> like, right. But yeah, I. People will know by now whether this is something they want to watch. I'm not going to change anybody's mind, but I don't want to change anybody's mind. I, I'm just, I'm happy to kind of like sit on the sidelines of this one and just let other people be part of the, uh, the cult of this movie. All right. That's fair, that's fair enough. That's definitely fair enough. I cannot fight you on that, sir. Well, I mean, I wouldn't either. I'm, I'm not good with confrontation. I'm not either. That's the reason why I'm still single. Oh, <laughs> maybe you're doing relationships wrong. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let me, let's take a little break. We'll come right back. We're going to talk um, for as long as we have left, I guess. We're going to be talking about the ghastly love of Johnny X. Jonathan X Savior. Inasmuch as you insist on being an outsider, and laughing at the rules and traditions of our advanced civilization, I am exiling you to a place which has no adherence to either. I have no choice but to sentence you to Earth. Alien rebel Johnny X is banished to Earth with his loyal followers, where they take up the guise of a greaser gang modeled after Johnny X's hero, wild man rock and roller Mickey O'Flynn. Now, there's a a lot to get into this movie. That's just kind of the basic setup. Um, This is the second of our uh, kind of cult musicals that we're discussing. And um, I'm just going to get out and say it. This one I like better then I like Repo the Genetic Opera, but I am not entirely a fan of it. I don't think it's entire, it's completely successful. Um, in fact, I mean, I don't want to, I, I don't like to be too judgmental about movies uh, in general, 
why why wouldn't I? I'm doing a podcast about them. I don't know what that is, but I don't like to be negative. Um, but I, I think this movie actually kind of falls very short of its aspirations and does not quite hit the mark for me in many ways. Um, but there's a lot in here I find interesting. And uh, a lot of that is due to just kind of like, I, I love the the milieu of a like 50s uh, teen sci-fi uh, film, you know, like, you know, greaser rebels and uh, aliens and like the cheap UFOs. And I, I like, man, like I said, I like musicals and I, I think this movie looks great, but let, I mean, let's, before we get into that, I want to, this is your first time viewing it. What were your thoughts on uh, the ghastly love of Johnny X? The ghastly Johnny D. Ha. Uh, well, I, I, had a, I had a long time to think about this, maybe a week to think about it. But um, yeah, I, uh, I, I have a little bit of mixed feelings on this for this movie uh, because there's some things that do definitely work in this movie, and then there's stuff that kind of falls flat for me. Um, the music is a little, uh, there's some really good songs. Oh wow! It, it's ha- there's some half and half songs for me. Um, what's it called? Yeah, I wasn't too keen on, but I think the um, the biggest takeaway from this film was uh, what's his name Creed. Yeah, yeah I love him. <laughs> yeah, whenever he's on screen, look when Creed is in the on any screen, The Office, this movie, anything, it always puts a smile on my face because. He's he's fucking great. <laughs> he's he always there's there's something odd about him that I love as an actor. Yeah, that would be Creed Bratton. Of course, you mentioned he played Creed on The Office. Uh, he plays the um, the rock and roller. He plays himself. I was gonna say he plays himself in The Office. He's Creed Bratton in The Office. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, he's a fictionalized character. He just has yeah. the same name. Um, yeah, but I think in this movie he kind of plays a little bit of himself too because he was in the a, a, a rock group for a while too and early on um the grassroots so i think he probably drew on that for this and he plays um rocker mickey o'flynn who we see early in the movie they we don't understand or we don't understand but we're not kind of given a reason why he's being shown or why like johnny x on his home planet seems to be fascinated with Mickey O'Flynn. We find out yeah. later. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he's kind of just a, a wild man with long hair and he, he, he's, I'm trying to think of what analog he would be. I, he's probably a little bit Rocky Erickson, a little bit, uh, 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 oh gosh, I'm going to edit this so I don't sound quite so stupid, but, uh, uh, <laughs> Screaming Jay Hawkins. There we go. It's a little bit like Rocky Erickson, a little bit screaming mad or what? Screaming mad. <laughs> God damn it, you got me too. Screaming Jay Hawkins. Um, uh-huh. He's he's just kind of like a wild man, like probably. Um, well, seems inexplicably popular with the younger generation, but uh, for a man of his clearly advanced years and just a very bizarre stage show, what little of it we see. Um, but yeah, yeah, he is he is a real highlight. All of his moments, even though he's he's dialogue free for the most part, 
for the most part, like spoilers are he's playing a corpse <laughs> at one point, yeah. a reanimated corpse, but still not a vocal one. Like he's not saying anything. And then, um, and he's, he's, you know, magnetic on screen for the, all of his scenes with or without dialogue. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, he, he's, he's the MVP of this movie in many ways. So, um, but then I want to talk about the, uh, the actor who does play Johnny X, uh, Will Keenan. Um, he was Tromeo in Tromeo and Juliet. Yep. And, um, you know, I thought he did a pretty good job in this film. I mean, everybody, there's a lot. Okay. So the thing that worked for me was um, they could have literally played very tongue in cheek. And there are certain things in this film that I didn't think they, they, they took it somewhat serious. And that's what I kind of liked about it. It wasn't just like winking to the camera all the time, which they could have clearly have done. Um, but that, that's, that's what worked for me, definitely. But I thought it was a little too long, in my opinion. It just was kind of a little slow burn for me. And like I said, some of the songs were kind of okay. Uh, the songs were, well, the guy who did the music was Eagle Plum. He's worked, uh, he, um, he's done a couple of Richard Elfman films of recent. Oh, yeah. He's really? also... He's also doing the uh, Forbidden Zone 2 score with Danny Elfman as well. Oh. Um, that, that I was going to say, uh, Fantastic Zone. Um, Forbidden Zone 2 has been, like, being worked on for years. Yeah. Years. But, um, but they did make, but Eagle Plum did do a Richard Elfman film uh, of recent called, like, Clowns something something and some i really fucked that up i'll, I'll look it up <laughs> if you want to edit this edit this if not then just let it through but <laughs> yeah no it's fine where is it oh aliens clowns and geeks that's what it is but yeah okay. he did the music for that as well but uh but yeah so he did the music for for uh, johnny x and like i said a lot of the instrumental stuff definitely worked because it was part part of the uh, you know it makes with it with that time but um, I'm trying to think of other things that I can Wait, what, about this film. But huh? What did you say the guy's name was? Ego Plum. Ego Plum. The composer. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you were talking about the songs. The songs in the film. No, um, the songs in the film were were uh, trying to try look according to IMDb. Uh, oh, Scott Martin. Scott Martin. Scott Martin. Why does he sound familiar? No, well, I don't know. Let me click on his name. Okay, so let's see. Oh, this oh, is he's... fascinating for people. Yeah, it is. to some people it is. Um, all right, so basically he's hasn't really done anything. Um, he was an actor. He played a mover number one in Highway to Heaven. Mm -hmm. A TV series in '86. He was in the Starman TV series that she lasted goes, a season. I watched like more than I should have as a kid. I think <laughs> I love You've that seen Starman. Starman show. That Starman show with like, Robert Hayes. Yeah, I loved it. I was, I, I, I was like playing at play acting that show in 1986. I would have been, yeah, I would have been eight, and I. 
so th- I mean, well, this is a humongous tangent for us discussing this movie. But um, I don't know yeah. if you remember the the in the movie, but it's also in the show that little ball that he had in his hand that would glow and yes. Um, so it was like, yeah, it was like a little silver ball when it wasn't glowing. And I got like this big ball bearing that I found, and I would just carry it around and like act that like that was my like, <laughs> Starman ball. I love Are you that serious? Show so much. Yeah. Wow. I, I haven't like watched that? it. I haven't watched it since I was a kid. I'm sure it's not as good as I'm making it out to be, but as a kid, I loved it. I'm sure if Robert, if you went up to Robert Hayes and you told him that, his mind would be fucking blown. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. Well, I was gonna say, if anyone's interested, Starman the TV series is on Crackle. That's right. Crackle. Oh, Crackle, man. Is that is that service still incredibly broken? Um, like we were talking about it, like <laughs> Tubi gets it right, but Crackle was just like I, I watched one movie on Crackle for a like a group watch and I, I could barely get through it. I almost gave up. It was just like the service was um really glitchy for me. Well, uh, we can check it out. <laughs> but but yes, yeah, so no, but getting back to um what's his name? Uh Scott Martin. Yeah, he doesn't really have any credits. I mean, honestly, the only thing he's really done music-wise is is that the guys yeah. who love the Johnny X. And I'm gonna say I do not like much much of the music. I think a lot of one of the main failings of this movie for me is that the movie isn't or the music isn't catchy. Um yeah. It, it, it's a part of my problem with repo as well uh, is that like, for musicals, the songs are not very memorable to me. I'm looking at them and I, I just watched the movie and I actually have the movie playing silently in the background while I'm doing this. So I'm like, I'm looking at them like, oh, okay, I can remember some of these, but some of these just don't really like land. Like they're looking at the song titles. I'm like, Oh, what are those? What is that? But then, you know, like what's yeah. up with Johnny and stuff like that, I, I can kind of, but none of them have tunes that I'm like, I find myself humming later on. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and like, as much as I, you know, I was talking about how Repo, I like kind of like industrial gothy music. I also uh-huh. really love like this type, this era for music. I love surf. I love rockabilly. I love like the, you know, early rock and roll. Um, I know it's kind of like a problematic, like, like there are there are people who get too into the like the rockabilly and like the idolizing the 50s style. But uh, I do think like yeah. musically, I, I do think I really, I, I really enjoy that. It's just like, I grew up listening to a bunch of, a bunch of oldies. Like that was one of the like three or four radio stations we had in Alaska. And it's the one that I found the most palatable. And um, mm-hmm. it, like, I don't know why I'm t- spending so much time on it. It's just like, I like this period of music and I don't think that the music quite captures it. And it's so easy to make a, a catchy song in kind of a 50s style. Like it, I, and I, oh, yeah. so, um, I, think, I think that's probably my, the biggest failure of the movie for me is that the music is not good. I mean, like I said, the music is okay. Um, what's it called? I, I know this is a completely somewhat off topic, but we're getting to like the 50s and 60s inspired t- music. But have you, did you, have you seen a film called Chillerama by any chance? I have not. 
but do you know about it? Uh, kind of. I think it might. It's on but, one of my watch lists somewhere. What? Let get back to me. Watch that film. Uh, oh, I'll, what? I actually just bought the DVD a little while ago. Maybe the Blu-ray. Well, that's because oh, that's I, funny. It was at the ninety-nine cent store. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like strangely, if you go to ninety-nine cent store or Dollar Tree, there's not as much as there used to be, but they every once in a while they get like really good interesting releases on dvd and blu-ray right now they're like the dollar tree has had mostly stuff that's kind of the the asylum level dvds but every once in a while you uh-huh. then like something really cool okay okay i know well go ahead i i was going just going off another tangent but you you go ahead oh no go go on the tangent i want to hear it <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, so like my job has me working in a different every week or so. Uh, I'm kind of working in another uh, another Southern California town, mostly around L.A. County, um, sometimes down as far as uh, uh, Riverside or San Diego. And every time I'm in a new town, when I get out to leave, if I'm not like just completely like I just want to fucking get home, I will I would go for, you know, the first few months i would just go to the nearest 99 cent store on my way out and you know i'd pick up like sometimes i'd pick up a little like toy or something for my youngest one and or like snacks and you know i'd look at their movie section and sometimes they had really like i said like really cool stuff so shillorama is one i bought because i just like the cover and i'd seen it around and i was like oh i've been interested in seeing this and i just haven't watched it yet okay Okay, so yeah, with Chilorama, um, there's four uh four short films, um, one but the second short is the one I want to talk about. It's called "I Was a Teenage Wear Bear," and it's <laughs> and it's and it's very. You laugh now, but <laughs> it's not a good it's not a good segment. It's probably the worst segment in the whole set oh, no. uh, movie. Yeah, uh, basically here, if I can just pop that up really quick, uh, just talk about that for a second. Uh, let's see. I was a teenage werebear. I mean, it had definitely this this um this had potential, straight up potential, and whoops. And it's directed by Tim Sullivan. Um, I'm trying to think what he's done, but um. But yeah, I was a teenage werebear. It, it basically it's a parody of like the beach the beach party movies, and also this guy who turns into a gay bear werebear. And um, it it pretty much yeah. So there's there's all this music oh, in it. Huh? I just I mean I kind of just got the double joke there. Oh you oh you did? Yeah. Awesome. Hey, go oh, ahead. Welcome to the club. Uh, no, um, yeah, so it, it definitely, oh, here we go. So I was trying to actually find, so a repressed gay teen transforms into a beast after being bitten by a hunky classmate. That's the premise, according okay. to INTV. But yes, but I, I really, I just didn't think it, it really um, it really hit. Um, said the music is not that great. Um, I mean, there's some good, I mean, you have Lynn Shea in it. I mean, come on, you gotta have Lynn Shea in your films. Um, 
but everything else, I mean, a lot of newer actors. Um, but yeah, like I said, it, it just kind of, it, it, there's a lot of myths in that film. And so if you do watch Chilliwama, I, I, that's, that's definitely the worst one you're going to see. Well, and, and, the, and the music is completely unmemorable. Oh, well, okay. Um, are you familiar with Mark Pirro? Uh, um, writer, director, like really, uh, I think I probably like Super 8 films and like um, a lot of them got released on VHS. Kind of he, he rode the wave of that like shot on video or not shot on video, but director video stuff. Um, I, probably his most well-known is Death Row Game Show. Oh, uh, yes, I have it. Oh, okay. So I actually like that movie. He he's done he he's done a couple of movies. Uh, he did one called the the Curse of the Queer Wolf, which is about, okay. about a guy who get. And the reason I watched that is because uh, I don't know if this is going to make it in the show. But my friend and I, um, like when we were teenagers, there was this interview with somebody. On the, uh, it might have been a politically incorrect or something where they they talk they said the gay they kept saying the gay as and we, we thought that was hilarious the way they were using that term like it was like like he got like he got the whatever curse you know and yeah it started us thinking like 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 he was talking about a werewolf and we got we wrote this whole skit like we were gonna make this short film about a, <laughs> about a guy who like it would have been like I want to say that it would have been like really inclusive, but we were probably kind of ed edge lordy teens, and this would have been not very uh, politically correct at all. It would have been like I want to think our heart was in the right place, but I'm sure it would have just like we're, we oh, were no. a couple of dumb kids, dumb straight kids. And, yeah, but look, um, if you if if you're writing as a satire, kids today are just gonna just like they don't know what satire is. They're just gonna cancel you in a heartbeat, but without, we, without actually thinking about it we had this whole idea about how like the, the transformation would look where uh -huh. like he would, he would like turn into kind of a leather daddy stereotype. Like, you know, you think of like, like the Freddie Mercury mustache and uh, somebody like an extra from cruising with Al Pacino. Um, yeah. Like, okay. but, but it was going to be like, you know, bit by bit by bit. And then his big reveal. And we had all this, planned out and it was so we, we thought it was so funny it was making us laugh and then we heard about this movie curse of the queer wolf and we we rented it or we found it somewhere had to track it down online i think and it was like oh well he did it better <laughs> like it's not offensive at all the way he, it, it's just goofy what he's doing uh -huh. i mean it's probably dated now because it's late 80s but it, it isn't like offensive especially for the time i don't remember it being that and then he did a Polish vampire in Burbank, which we also watched. We thought we thought they were pretty funny. All right, yeah. I mean, I I've never heard of those, but I definitely want to check them out. <laughs> Try to find them. I actually like Death Row Game Show. Okay, hey, let's get back to the movie. I'm sorry, we we just went off on a bunch of tangents. Oops. Um. Oh. What were, I'm oh. sorry, I interrupted. Did you have something you else you were trying to get to? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, no, I was talking about Death Row Game Show that I actually really enjoyed it. And it was a blind buy during a vinegar syndrome sale. Oh, nice. So, huh. it looked, the trailer looked interesting. I had to see it. 
<laughs> but yeah, so I just wanna, but I wanna get back to, I wanna wheel us back into uh, Johnny X and I just, I wanna talk about the cast because they actually, for, for this type of film, they have a stellar cast. I mean, they had Kevin McCarthy, they had Creed Brandon, they had uh, Reggie Bannister from the Phantasm films. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Paul Williams. Paul fucking Williams. God damn, like the, the director, I read an interview with the director that he would do, um, he would do conventions, he would go to conventions a lot. And the director, Paul Bunnell, is mostly an actor, um, but like he's kind of a background artist actor. Uh, mm-hmm. But he, he has a couple of credits to his name. Um, some, some shorts uh, that one of them was supposed to be an episode of the TV show Monsters, but the show got, it, 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 the show got canceled or they never ended up using it. And so he turned it into a short film. Um, but he, he doesn't like have a huge career as a director. But he, he said he would go to science fiction conventions and comic conventions and he would talk to these people and he was just like, I would just ask. I would just ask people and like, hey, I'm like, he would tell them about the project he wants to do and just say, hey, would you like to be in it? And that's how he got Kevin McCarthy um uh i guess Ke- the the filming got interrupted but kevin mccarthy did a day and he was supposed to come back for an, a later scene that didn't ended up getting shot i guess uh but that's how he got paul williams and um uh well reggie bannister is because he was in the director's previous film and he wanted to work with him again oh my internet connection is unstable yeah but yeah, I, I think the cast is by and large pretty good. Um, I, I I don't know I don't know if I like Will Keenan throughout the entire movie. I think he he kind of gets into the swing of things with his character, and um, certainly once he gets into the greaser mold later on, I think he's good. He has a scene. Yeah. He had the scene where you find out that, or he comes because the entire movie he's trying to find Mickey O'Flynn. And he finds Mickey O'Flynn and Mickey O'Flynn has died. And he has a monologue talking to like, <laughs> so funny because you just see the flashback. He died as, while talking to Reggie Bannister's character and Reg, yeah. like, Reggie Bannister just leaves him there in the chair in the room. And it's clearly been days, maybe weeks <laughs> that they come to find him and his body is starting to decompose. Uh, but that scene with Will Keenan talking to Creed, uh, Mickey O'Flynn, where he reveals that uh, Mickey O'Flynn is his father, who has also been banished to Earth. Um, yeah, and that—that's partly why Johnny wanted to come to Earth. I think that's really well played. Like he—he—that's super emotional, or at least much more emotional than you would expect in this movie. Um, See, and and again, like I said early on, before. Um, I, I like that the they they took a lot of this stuff a little more serious than the the typical tongue in cheek. Like that that it could have easily been very like played for laughs and whatnot. Yeah, and it kind but of I seems think, like it will be in the beginning, but um, mm-hmm. I think it does find its stride. Uh, I but I like him in the greaser mold, like I said, but I didn't like him that first scene even knowing where the movie's going to go, watching that first scene again with Kevin McCarthy, I, I think Will, Will Keenan is just like mugging, but can't sell it. Like, it, I don't know. It, 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 
yeah does not fill me with uh confidence for the rest of the movie <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's unfortunately it's like Kevin mccarthy's last performance yeah and this movie like this movie when it, it took like six years to finish um, yes because they were they were they were getting scraps this is the last movie shot on um what is the the line of the kodak film it, it's, it's on... a it's a special uh special black and white um hold on i i got it right here if you can probably edit oh yeah i will out for a second do 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 oh uh here we go the eastman plus x negative film 5231 from kodak yeah, and he, he was filming it on like the last scraps that they were able to find because it was discontinued. And um, he ran out of money at one point. And so uh, like, yeah, he took a six year break from filming and was able to bring everybody back. And you really can't tell. He points out a scene where um, the scene at the drive-in, like when they're in the car at the drive-in, Chip and uh, oh, what is her name? Uh, the chip, the soda jerk, and the um, Johnny's ex girlfriend. When they drive, yeah, in... it's. I, I can look for it now. Uh, Lily. Okay, Lily. When they get to the drive-in, they're in the car, and then when they get out to start, you know, the scene getting out of the car, they get out of the car six years later, and oh my god, you, you don't really know. You notice like it, they match everything really well, which is, I think, the number one like thing about this movie is it looks great that black and white film is oh fantastic the cinematography is great i love like it does the classic rear projection whenever they're driving and i think that looks awesome um oh absolutely even though i don't like the music the musical numbers like i I, because i I, i'm saying i got the movie going while we're recording but it's muted and i'm just watching the musical numbers without the music and they look really cool like they're really well staged I, I, I think this movie yeah. is fun to watch. Definitely this movie has the the heart, has the momentum. But like I said, there's some certain things that kind of fail, unfortunately. But I mean, I, I, I don't want to be the bare bad news, but uh, according to IMDb, it was the low, according to Box Office Mojo, sorry, it was the lowest grossing movie of 2012 and it only made $117. Well, did you realize, run. did you read why that was? No, because it it um, it played at some festivals, but it won um, a festival in, I think, Kansas City. And the prize for the festival was they would play it for one week at a local theater. And that's the only that's the only week it played in a theater anywhere. Mm -hmm. And there was no advertising for it. It was just like they put it into a like a small screening room. And nobody went to it because nobody knew it was there, but they got a theater, a theatrical run. How weird. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it made like 126, but um, I, I have to imagine it made its money back. I, I don't know about on video, but on streaming, maybe. I, I, I watched it this years ago on Amazon, on Amazon Prime. Um, yeah. And I don't know what sort of deal people get with it from Amazon Prime, but um, I do know that there is, Maybe not a huge cult following. I don't know anybody else who's seen this movie, but I know. It, the, no, but, I mean, look, I didn't know anything about it until you told me to see it. So I, I've never heard of it. 
Well, and also, according to IMDb, uh, supposedly Paul Williams was supposed to play Mickey O'Flynn. Yeah, he was supposed to have a larger part, but be, like something happened scheduling, I think maybe it getting pushed back. And so that's another one. They only had him for like part of a day. And so they, they just had that scene that they wrote the scene for him to be on like the, the uh, host. Yeah. But, um, and I don't know. I, I like Paul Williams a lot. I, I think he's better in that, the role he ends up playing the cousin Quilty. Um, yeah. Only because I think like Creed Bratton, man, his, once he's, he's, you know, comes back to life and like, he's that, that whole scene where he's like looking at the stars and he's just talking about existence. It, it, it's so like he, like, I, I mean, I used the word earlier, he's magnetic. He's so compelling in this movie. Uh, I, it, it makes me wish we got more of him, not only in this movie, but just everywhere. Like, and not just like the comedic office roles, but like a, maybe a full on, drama he seems like i mean he, he he's such a good actor in those moments oh absolutely he's definitely a good actor i think he's in a like a kind of a horror dramatic film a couple of years ago uh for blumhouse oh, fuck it it's called like culture culture clash or culture or something damn it culture shock that's the movie he was in uh, um but yeah it was um What's it called? Yeah, so he he's the villain in that film, so he can play serious as well. Okay, that's yeah, I can. Oh, that was part of the Into the Dark. Okay, yeah. uh, I haven't watched that one yet, but I've been going through. Uh, I've been, go, you know, I, I, I every once in a while I'll watch one of the Into the Dark movies. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm trying to pinpoint what it is that I like that makes me like this one more then well I, I think i've already pinpointed what makes me like this more than repo because in a way these are very very similar movies where they're they're passion projects right uh, in a way of a director kind of rallying their limited resources calling in favors getting their friends to do stuff um they're you know using what they can with available uh technology um very stylized very niche offbeat musicals like that there there's something so similar about the ethos behind each one and yet i do like johnny x more than repo even though i'm not a huge fan of it i i do think it is both the performances and the look of the movie like repo i i do just come back to the fact that i think repo is is kind of ugly looking like it, it's not the most appealing to my eye whereas yeah. Johnny X just like I mean I'm like I keep looking over it now and I just like I'm really love the images I think it looks fantastic um well I've been watching a lot of like kind of black and white shot or not black and white shot but um what's it called but yeah Johnny X looked incredible and I just I just came from the new Beverly a couple days ago and I saw the black and white version of Nightmare Alley yeah, the movie was shot. The movie was shot digitally, I believe. But Gimbal the Toe went back and did a black and white version of it, and he regraded it to uh, higher contrast and all that. But it looked fucking incredible. The cinema, a lot of the cinematography in that in that black and white version was stunning, and it made and it made me love why I want to do stuff in black and white. Yeah, I I do. 
I like black and white. I mean, the photography, um, I, I mean, I, I prefer like, I prefer taking black and white photos to, there's just something about it when you get the right contrast that it, it looks so much, uh, maybe so, like, so much more mythic in a way, the, it's so much more striking. Um, Absolutely. I, I love a good black and white film. And uh, that, I, that's good to hear about Nightmare Alley because sometimes with those, like, those digital films are where they, they go back and they, they just basically desaturate and it doesn't come across as well. But I, I did hear he put a lot of work into getting all of the, um, the grading correct and like making sure everything really popped uh, or looked like it fit black and white, not just like he, he you know, <laughs> turned the color down on his monitor. Yeah. No, but yeah, it, it looked it looked great. I really, really liked it. But yeah, but Johnny X looked incredible. I think the cinematography in it for for a movie of that caliber, I think it looks incredible. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say here? Uh, we, well, I mean, we're not really talking too much about the plot, but the plot is like uh, Lily, Johnny X's girlfriend wants to get away from their lifestyle here on earth it's unclear how long they've been on earth it looks like they've been here long enough to assimilate quite a bit but in another way it looks like they just landed the day before <laughs> um but uh she steals his resurrection suit which is a suit of his own design that allows him to uh control the bodies of other people which is um which for some reason they banished him to earth with that suit they allowed him to keep it <laughs> but uh yeah she steals it and he's chasing it after her they have their first uh run in at a diner where uh lily kind of meets chip the soda jerk who i think i think he's a really fun character he's such a square uh but he's played really well by les williams who has the look of a 50s square like he yeah really fits this part um I have to say that I liked Chip so like a lot. And I, I was a little bit disappointed that Lily goes back with Johnny X because like they, their relationship, um, I don't know, like she, she seems like too much for him. But I like the fact that they, they I, I like their relationship in the movie. And then suddenly she goes back to Johnny X right at the end. Yeah. Although the, the, <laughs> Uh, the consolation, because he can't just be left as a loner, is that he, he's a ghastly one now. He's been accepted by the gang, and uh, he does seem to be pairing up with uh, the character of Dandy Connors, who, who shows up late in the film as a Mickey O'Flynn super fan, uh, played yes. by Kate Maverly. Yes. Um, yeah, and so uh, I, guess, I guess we really don't need to get into the plot. We've talked about everything. People are you know, it, I, I think it's, I think it's a fun movie worth checking out. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it is successful in yeah. a lot of the things that it's trying, but it, it's the type of, it's not of, a bad movie. It, it's definitely not a bad movie, but there, there is some good moments in it. Yeah. Or, or if it is a bad movie, it's kind of a good, bad movie. It, it, it's, um, it would be fun to watch maybe with some friends, it, but it, it's a movie that you can't really make fun of because it's not, it's in on the joke. It's not like it isn't making fun of the fifties movies themselves, but it's also not like so serious that you can, you can mock it. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. I guess it, it fits a, a kind of a weird middle ground, but I, 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 it has a qualified recommendation for me. If you're a fan of like this type of genre film, I, I would definitely just check it out just for the fun performances and the really like cool visuals. Like it, it looks, looks so, so cool. And uh, yeah, is so much fun in it. And I mean, you get Kevin McCarthy and Paul Williams and uh, Reggie Bannister, of course, Creed Bratton. We already met, I said him. He, he, he just deserves to be mentioned all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I think every movie, every movie should be is better with Creed Bratton. Um, okay, so unless you have anything else to say, we're going to take our final break. We will be right back uh, to say our goodbyes. Um, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. Um, again, I, I don't highly recommend it, but I do recommend anybody out there listening to this, I'd say give Johnny a try and let us know what you think. Okay, and we're back and we're, we're, we just got a couple of minutes left uh, here. Let's talk to the ghastly Johnny D and see if he's got anything going on right now or where people can find you. Well, you can find me now. Um, I'm a filmmaker. Uh, I, I, I call myself a filmmaker, but you can actually uh, check my stuff out. Uh, you can follow my production company on Twitter and Instagram at Misfits of Cinema. That's where usually I throw out all my projects. I mean, all my previews and posters of what, what I'm going to be working on. Um, and then you can also uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Follow me on Instagram at John Duarte Presents. And then follow me on Twitter at Johnny D Presents. All right. And I think I think that should do it. Yeah, everybody check this stuff out. Yeah, uh, you're you're super talented. I uh, like having you on. You're a fun follow too. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, we got to do it soon, or than last time. <laughs> like, let's not make it another year. Um, I, I this will probably be out in about two weeks like I'm, i got a different episode i'm trying to get out for this weekend and then you'll probably be the week after that um okay hopefully uh but i'll let you know i'm i'm gonna try and keep myself to it um right. as for us i know it's been a little while but hopefully we're getting back in the swing of things you can find us at two-headed pod on twitter and instagram the most active of those is uh twitter but there is a facebook page um i i i do get messages there i do check it I do post stuff every once in a while, and that's just the incredible two-headed podcast um, on Facebook. Uh, if you are listening, I, I do please ask that you rate, review, and subscribe. It just helps with our numbers, helps people, like it helps the search for the show. Um, it also just helps me know if anybody's actually out there listening. I, 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 see, I see download numbers. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'm kind of just doing this for myself anyway, but I'd like to hear from people if anybody's out there listening. Um, and that's going to do it for us. We'll be back in another week or two. I think we're going to be keeping with a bi-weekly schedule with uh, another brand new episode. So everybody take care and we'll see you next time.